Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. Winter is coming. Heavy rain, sleet, snow, and ice. Are your tires up for the challenge? Tread confidently in winter's worst with a set of new tires from Tire Rack. They sell only the best, like the full line of Yokohama tires. Go to TireRack.com sports. Tell them what you drive. Your tires will ship fast and free to you or one of over 10,000 recommended installers. TireRack.com, the way tire buying should be. Thanks for listening to the best of Outkick the Coverage podcast. Be sure to catch us live every weekday morning from 6 to 9 a.m. Eastern, 3 to 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio. Find your local station for Outkick the Coverage at foxsportsradio.com or stream us live every morning on the iHeartRadio app by searching FSR. This is the best of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. We're talking about the uh, the Derrick Henry performance, uh, obviously, which was extraordinary. 17 rushes, 238 yards, four touchdowns. If the Titans had continued to feed him, he could have potentially broken uh, the way he was running the all-time NFL record in a game. As is, he's the only player other than Chris Johnson, who also plays for the Titans, to have a 90-plus yard touchdown and a 50-plus yard touchdown in the same game 17 carries 238 yards an average of 14 yards a carry four touchdowns and what makes it even more improbable the second best game Derrick Henry has this year 11 carries for 58 yards that's the second best game Derrick Henry has all year so this 17 uh carry 238 yard performance If you look at prop bets for these games, and a lot of times I look at the prop bets for Thursday night and Monday night uh, football games, the over-under for Derrick Henry rushing yards tonight was 32, or last night was 32 and a half. And then he comes out and goes for 17 for 238. That is pretty improbable. That's pretty extraordinary. Uh, I want to bring in the crew how do you explain this? Did the Jacksonville Jaguars just quit? Because that's what it felt like to me in this game. They just had no interest in tackling Derrick Henry. It honestly was a little bit mem- uh, reminiscent. If you have seen, if you watched the Monday night game between the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans, the in that game, the Titans went for it on fourth down and short, got stopped when they handed off to the tight end, 
Next play, Lamar Miller goes for 91 yards. In this game, Leonard Fournette, fourth down. They're trying to get in. Jacksonville gets stopped at the one-yard line. The next play, Derrick Henry goes for 99 yards. And it's as if you might as well as just stop the game right there. If that were Little League, somebody just got run-ruled and there's no point in playing the rest of the game. Let's try not to get anybody hurt. It's over. That's kind of the way it felt when Derrick Henry went for 99 yards. Danny G, did you feel that way? Like the Jacksonville Jaguars at that point just basically said, yeah, we have no real interest in playing this game until the end of the game when it seemed like they were trash-talking when it was 30-9 <laughs> to nine and they stopped the Titans at the, uh, at the goal line on fourth down. You would have thought they just won the division the way they were celebrating when that happened. The Jacksonville Jaguars, to me, are – a thoroughly unlikable team, but also not a particularly smart team. They talk a lot, and they're not very good, which is why, again, I think Tom Coughlin's going to go and just remake this entire roster in the uh, in the offseason. Yeah, it does seem like they have a few punks on their team, and every time the camera would show their sideline, they were moping. You saw them sitting on the bench with their hands over their faces until the end of the game, like you said, suddenly – they got this bravado, which didn't make any sense at all. But I think it's actually more about Derrick Henry. I've given him a lot of love on this show throughout the years. Back in 2015, I was hoping, praying that my favorite team was going to draft him. And, of course, he was the second running back taken in that draft by your Titans instead. Dividends paying off right now, although the, the difference between him and Zeke you know, the yards they were pointing out on the broadcast last night. What was it, 3,600 to 1,700? But that goes to show you, I think, the Titans should have been featuring him a little bit more all throughout the season on offense. I mean, that 99-yard run was ridiculous. Not one, not two, not three. Four stiff arms on the same run. When he tossed Boye to the side like he was a Pop Warner player, <laughs> yeah. I stood up. I mean, I played running back as a kid, so I'm always paying a lot of attention to running backs. And what I love about Henry is his upright running style. He reminds me of a young Eric Dickerson. When we were little kids watching Dickerson with his goggles running like that, that's what it felt like to me. And then, of course, he tossed Jacobs to the side with a stiff arm. And then with two stiff arms to Jacobs and finally that last stiff arm to Miles Jack as he plowed into the end zone. That's why on the internet people are already calling this Beast Quake 2.0. Yeah. That run was sick and it made my night, really. And I've watched the replay probably 10 times. Yeah, it's one of the best runs in the history of the NFL. People say, well, you're a prisoner of the moment. You're overreacting. I don't think so. No, only I mean, him and all, Tony Dorsett. Yeah, you you can't run the ball further than he did. So by its very like historic nature, he and Tony Dorsett both went 99 yards. They're the only two players to ever do it in NFL history. And then to have done it as he did in such a ridiculous, like just throwing people aside manner – it has to be one of the five best runs of all time in the NFL history, and maybe you can argue the best ever because if you compare it with the Tony Dorsett play, it was much more physically dominant than the Tony Dorsett run was. You're, a lot of people think about the Marshawn Lynch touchdown, which made the Beast Mode uh, you know, brand kind of synonymous with Marshawn Lynch, but this one was longer, and this is a crazy stat too. On that 54-yard run, I saw this from Stats and Info, Derrick Henry hit a faster speed than any player has on a run in the NFL this year. 
I mean, that, that's an amazing stat. I tweeted this out. I want to make sure that I read it correctly. Um, it is it is wild to uh, wild to think about, given that how big Derrick Henry is. This is what they tweeted: Derrick Henry reached twenty one point seven four miles per hour on his fifty four yard touchdown run, the fastest speed by a ball carrier on a touchdown run this season. So you think about the height, you think about the weight, and how just massive of a human being Derrick Henry is. For him to be able to hit 21.74 miles per hour, the fastest any ball carrier has been on a touchdown this year in the NFL, I think speaks to his physical levels of dominance. You also raise the question, why has he not been used more? The challenge with Derrick Henry, and I would say this happened at Alabama too, he hasn't had Derrick Henry this year more than 18 yards in a game, more than 18 carries in a game. If you watched his career at Alabama, he didn't really get a sweat going until he got to 18 carries. And there were games, I think I'm pretty sure on this, where he would carry the ball 30, 35, even 40 times for Alabama. And it was the eventual just lean factor where Derrick Henry started to pile up really massive numbers as he got the ball over and over and over again. If you look at Derrick Henry's rush numbers, He just doesn't get the ball enough. And I think the challenge on that is he's not the kind of runner who gets you four yards every play. He seems like he should be, given how big he is, the kind of guy who would get you four yards on every carry, and you could just rely on that, and he's big and he's physical, and it makes it easier to kind of use him a lot. He's the kind of guy who gets you nothing, nothing, 25. Nothing, 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 33. And so it's really kind of hard to figure out how to fit him into the offense. And I think that's what the Tennessee Titans have struggled with is you can't, you know, if you run him on first and second down, which they've tried to do sometimes, you're very often sitting at third and nine and people say, well, what are you doing? Or third and eight and Mariota's got to, you know, throw the ball with, uh, with a third down and long distance. And so it's just a challenge exactly to figure out how to mix him in. And for whatever reason, Suddenly, the Titans mixed him in, and he was absolutely perfect um, last night. And I, I know there's a lot of people listening who are Alabama Crimson Tide fans who would acknowledge that that's the thing with Derrick Henry is that you got to give. I mean, he's he's a bell cow. You got to give him the ball as much as you can. But at the same time, he doesn't necessarily gain yardage in the way that you would anticipate, given how big of a guy he is. Eight seven seven nine nine six six three six nine. Dub, you're an Auburn fan. You've seen Derrick Henry run against you all too often. Was that the best run in the history of the NFL, the 99-yarder? I'm not sure I can put it in front of Marshawn Lynch from a few years back, but, I mean, it was awfully impressive. And, and this this week, we've had Adrian Peterson at 33 years old Go bust 90. out a 90-yarder, yep. and then Derrick Henry last night. And then going back to one of your points you made earlier, I mean, how unlikable are the Jags. I mean, they they celebrate like they won their division at, just because they kept Henry out of the end zone for a fifth time. I yeah. mean, come on, guys. And then Jalen Ramsey, his his flop on Taylor Lewan. Oh. I mean, he, he needs to give my guy Manu Ginobili a call if he's trying to pull that off. You know what I'm saying? That I was, mean, come on, dude. That was, that was amazing. I thought they didn't show that enough on television. I'm not sure their cameras caught it, but he was talking to Taylor Lewan, and Lewan gave him a uh, – like kind of bumped his uh, his face mask into, into Jalen Ramsey, and Ramsey went down – like he was, uh, like he'd just gotten hit by a bullet. Like a sniper just grabbed him. I mean, it was LeBron James esque. It was uh, Neymar in the World Cup esque, just rolling around on the ground. Uh, what about you guys, uh, Eddie Garcia? You've seen a lot of uh, 
a lot of touchdown runs in your life as a NFL fan like we all have. Where did that one rank, the 99-yarder from Derrick Henry? I mean, I, I can't give you a number of where it ranked, but it was definitely more impressive than Tony Dor- Tony Dorsett's record uh, touchdown run. I, I mean, think, it's one of sure. the two longest runs of all time, and it was more impressive than the longest run of all time. So you can definitely say, without hyperbole, it's the most impressive 99-yard touchdown run in the history of the game. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with that. The way that he obviously had to get away from several defenders with the stiff arms uh, it was it was one of the most impressive runs ever, for sure. I, I don't know if, where I would rank it. I was how about top five? I'll say that for sure. Top five I've ever seen for sure. Uh, Roberto, where are you ranking it? I uh, I still have that beast mode run number one. It was in the, in the playoffs and it was against the defending Super Bowl champs. But it was it was very impressive. I think Derrick Henry has been underutilized, undervalued in in Tennessee, and I think he should be given the ball more. He definitely made himself some money uh, with that performance last night with the entire NFL watching because it showed you what his ceiling is. Now, how often can he get close to that ceiling? Again, his second best performance, 17, went last night for 17 for 238, but his second best performance on the year is 11 carries for 58 yards. So uh, anyway, he should be fresh. If he could perform like this down the stretch, it makes the Titans a much more dynamic team and a difficult team to prepare for. Let's go to some of your calls. Uh, David in Tennessee, what you got for me? Um, I uh, would rank that kind of right below the uh, Marshawn Lynch because Marshawn Lynch was playoffs. And, yeah. But I'm a diehard Titan fan. But um, – my question is, um, watch, watching some of the game, do you think next year that Tom Coughlin's going to try to trade and get, or maybe free agency if they cut Eli Manning, do you think he'll come to Jacksonville with Tom Coughlin? Yeah, it's a good question. I appreciate the call. I, I, I mean, When I watch this Jacksonville team, I don't think that Eli makes sense because I don't think they're close to being Super Bowl contenders right now. I think they have completely fallen apart, and so the idea that they would somehow – be in the mix to be a Super Bowl contending team that's the only reason it would make sense for to me for them to go grab Eli uh with Larry in Alabama I bet you've seen that a lot what you saw from Derrick Henry last night yes sir how y'all doing this morning excellent <laughs> yeah um, yeah I, I was gonna go first I'm gonna say is uh, what a week for Alabama you know SEC championship Deontay Wilder you know won his boxing match and you know I looked at the football awards last night. We got a couple awards last night in football and, and Derrick Henry, what he did uh, last night. And that's the second time that Derrick Henry I have outdoors doing Leonard Fournette. I don't oh, know yeah. if y'all remember back in 2015 yep. when, that, when the tie shit Leonard Fournette down. And Henry, I, I've been waiting on that ever since he came to, to pro for him to just, you know, I'm, and like you said, Derrick Henry is a guy you got to feed him the ball. You know, you got to feed him the ball. You know, I mean, he can he'll hit a miss, he'll hit a miss, he'll hit a miss for him. And uh, and uh, I'm not a fan of either Tennessee or Jacksonville. You know, I got we got a couple of players on Jacksonville. You know, from Bama, but that's all I had to say. That was spectacular last night. Thanks, man. Thanks for the call, Larry. Uh, Deontay Wilder got the draw. He didn't get the win. Otherwise, yes, it's been a good run for. Crimson Tide fans, and again, I mean, I think this is uh, kind of emblematic of what Derrick Henry can do is the problem that he has in general with getting a lot of carries is he's not the kind of guy who gets you three or four carries in a row, uh, sorry, three or four yards in a row where you can be like just stacking up first downs. He's a big play threat. 
and I think his physical stature does not look like he's a big play threat, but obviously he is. I mean, he looked like he was playing uh, in high school against the JV squad last night. I mean, that's how dominant he was. Mike and Modesto, what's up? You know, Clay, I want to hit this from just a little different angle. This year I've been pleasantly surprised with Thursday night football, and I've been, and I'm a diehard football fan. And in the past years, I could check and live without it because it's not good for the players playing on a Sunday, coming back on a Thursday when we know their bodies are not ready till about Saturday. And this game, like the Raiders and 49er game early in the season, showed. Not that Jacksonville isn't inconsistent, but that tackling on the 99-yard run reminded me of Tommy Frazier in 95 versus the Florida defense in the Sugar Bowl. It was disgusting. They just didn't want to be physical out there. They didn't want to hit. Tennessee was ready to hit, and it showed. They didn't want to tackle all night long. So if you're not a fan of Tennessee, I was turning the channel because Jacksonville absolutely looked like a, a Thursday night team that laid down. Now, with that being said, this year there's been pleasantly some great Thursday night football, but if you look at that, it's been by teams that throw the ball, like the Kansas City game with, um, excuse me, now I'm forgetting who they played, the other awesome record. The Rams, Rams game was a Monday night game. Kansas City against the Rams. Thanks for the oh, call. Oh, sorry, sorry then. Yeah. Thanks for the call, Mike Medez. I think Thursday night football has been better because the NFL decided they wanted to get better matchups. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, but we had the Jags and the Titans play this year. When this matchup was set, it actually looked decent. The Jags and the Titans are two of the only teams who won playoff games last year, and they're both division rivals. So this one on paper coming into the season seemed like it was going to be pretty good. I mean, both these teams were 3-1 and one after the first quarter of the season, and it seemed like, hey, this could be a battle that really matters, not just for the AFC South, but potentially for substantial playoff sp- uh, space. And then the uh, Jacksonville Jaguars have just come out and fallen on their face. They're 1-8 and eight in their last nine games after starting 3-1. and one. Let me bring in uh, Eddie Garcia, find out what's shaking in the world of sports. Well, Clay, of course, we start with our Geico scoreboard and Thursday night football with the Titans beating the Jaguars 30-9 and Derrick Henry with a franchise record 238 yards on the ground and four touchdowns, including a 99-yarder that tied the NFL record. Tennessee's now 7-6 and six and right in the thick of things in the AFC wildcard chase. Right now, they are the first team on the outside looking in. Jacksonville drops to 4-9. and nine. Just three games in the NBA. Jazz over the Rockets, 118-91. Celtics beat the Knicks, 128-100. And the Trailblazers down the Suns, 108-86. College basketball, two ranked teams in action. Number 18, Iowa beat Iowa State, 98-84. While number 23, Maryland lost at Purdue 62-60. to This report brought to you by True Car. Online car shopping can be confusing, but not anymore with True Price from True Car. Now you can know the exact price you'll pay for your next car. So visit True Car and enjoy a more confident car buying experience. Back to Clay Travis in the Geico Outkick the Coverage Studios. On that Thursday night football front, Chargers Chiefs closes out Thursday night football. I think when Fox bid for Thursday night football, I don't think I know this, the NFL said we're going to give you better games and you have gotten a lot better games. And uh, and last night was not necessarily a reflection of that because I think the Jacksonville Jaguars have basically quit on the season. Uh, but that was uh, but over the course of the season, I think the Thursday night football package has been pretty outstanding. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. 
there still are a lot of potential outcomes uh, that could surprise down the stretch here, and we will talk about all that and more uh, with Mark Schlereth. Mark Schlereth has uh, the Carolina Panthers on the road against the Cleveland Browns. Mark, you're an old offensive lineman. What did you think yes. of the Derrick Henry a very, run? A very, a very old yeah. offensive lineman. Yeah. What did you think of the Derrick Henry run last night, the 99-yarder? Where would you put that in the annals of just beast mode dominant runs that you've seen during your time watching and playing in the NFL? It was it was one of those that you just are like you got to be kidding me you got to be you got to be you know it just was one of those one he is so big and he's such a long legged guy if you've ever been around him at practice or whatever you know he's got this short kind of upper body torso and these unbelievably long legs and so when he gets churning I mean he is he is deceptively fast uh, because of his size you just don't expect him like he's like a two fifty guy. And you don't expect him to be that fast. But the strength, the upper body strength, the stiff arms, the, the missed tackles, I don't know if it was one of the greatest runs ever or one of the worst tackling performances I've ever seen, but it was like that kind of effort and that kind of uh, run and and to have that kind of size and that kind of speed. It was it, To me, it was just a lot of fun to watch, man. He did a phenomenal job, and he just absolutely beasted dudes down the sideline. And multiple guys, you know, guys that – are good players, uh, you know, A.J. Boye, he just, I mean, he just tossed him, ragdolled him. So, a lot of fun to watch it. All right, so how does that happen? Uh, and and you, you work on the offensive line and you watch the play and everything else. I, I sit around and I say, okay, Derrick Henry went for 17 and 238, averaged 14 yards a carry, ran for four touchdowns last night. Prior mm. to that performance last night, the best game that he's had so far this season, 11 carries for 58 yards against the New England Patriots. How do you explain the difference between 238, and I'm not saying like, look, I mean, it's hard to go for over 200 yards anytime in the NFL, but to not ever have run close to 100 yards this season and to suddenly go for 238, what happens to make that possible and why has he not been more successful so far this season? Well, I think one thing they've always they've always used him in a role of you know giving multiple guys opportunities, and so he has never been a guy in my mind that has been kind of the lead the lead pony, so to speak. And I think some guys just have a better feeling the more times they touch the ball. Not that he touched the ball a ton yesterday, but the more times you touch the ball, the better you are at setting up a defense and understanding kind of what the blocking scheme is, how, how the defense is playing you, what the gap assignments are. And then you get into a game like that with Jacksonville, and it might cause them of what Jacksonville has been all year. This, yeah. this emotional um, a team with a lack of emotional maturity. You know, from their all-star cornerback basically bagging on every guy in the league, how nobody can play, and he's better than everybody else. And, you know, it just like I always say this, Clay, it is so much harder in life in general, to deal with success than it is to deal with failure. Because at least with failure, you're motivated to keep working. You're motivated to get by it. You're motivated to fix it. With success, you're so busy sometimes patting yourself on the back and thinking about how great you are and how you've arrived. And that's the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, you want to talk about disappointing. So lack of tackling, lack of gap assignment you see guys that are basically running around tackles and trying to jump on the back of a running back um you know i mean the the 150 yards some odd touchdown jalen ramsey has outside contain 
you know, and you're supposed to force it back in there. And he jumps to the inside, almost trying, trying to avoid a big hit. And Henry breaks to the outside, and he's gone, 54 yards or whatever it was. So uh, that, to me, is a lot of Derrick Henry, good for him. But a lot of that is the Jacksonville Jaguars, and they're just lack of maturity as a football team. How much do you think that drives Tom Coughlin crazy? He's got to be going. I mean, he is he is so old school. He has got to be going absolutely nuts. Uh, and again, to think that you've arrived, like you've accomplished something, because you lost to the Patriots in the AFC Championship game, a game you should have won, and um, and I just know how difficult it is to be, you know, the people that are being chased and to have that kind of success and how much tighter your focus needs to be, how much more myopic your focus needs to be on all the little things and, and your preparation. Um, and, and certainly it's got to be because he is so old school. He understands that old school football mentality. Um, he has got to be going absolutely bananas with um, the lack of the, just the lack of execution of his football team. Now there's other things. There's injuries across the offensive line and, you know, Leonard Fournette hasn't played a lot and Blake Bortles hasn't been very good, you know, and, and all these things. But that defense is essentially, you know, for the most part together. And to play the way they have played is, you know, just frankly, it's unacceptable. We're talking to Mark Schlereth. Okay, the AFC is going to have, it appears, a really interesting playoff race. Uh, the Titans get to 7-6. and six. Right now, the Ravens have the final playoff spot at 7-5. and five. Miami Dolphins, 6-6. Six and six. Indianapolis Colts, 6-6. Six and six. Denver, 6-6. Six and six. Coming down the stretch, who would you want to buy stock in in the AFC as this playoff race unfolds? Um, boy, I tell you what, it's hard to look at Tennessee and see what they did yesterday running the ball and, and, and knowing how good their defense is, even though, you know, nobody knows the names, their defense is a top 10 defense. It's hard, it's, it's hard to look at those guys and not to think that they could put a streak together here. I will tell you this though. Now the, the Broncos just lost Emmanuel Sanders. They lost Chris Harris Jr. Although they think they may get him back for the last week or maybe if they can get into the playoffs. But scheduling-wise, they play at San Francisco, they play Cleveland at home, they play at the Raiders, and then they play the Chargers at home, who they beat earlier in the season. But the Chargers at that point, I don't know that they'll have anything to play for and and who they're going to be playing. So from a scheduling standpoint, you just look at the schedule, and the Broncos have a a schedule where they could go on a four-game win streak right now. They're on a three-game win streak, and they've beaten the Chargers and the Steelers. Um, they go on a win streak and, and win out and be 10 and 6 and maybe have a shot at this thing. But um, of the teams you mentioned, I, I still, Baltimore is playing great defense. They're running the ball 50 times a game with Lamar Jackson. He, he's, he's tough, but I don't know, like, I don't, I don't trust that you're going to get into a game where you're going to need a, a guy who can throw it to win. I don't trust that he's going to be able to do that at this point in his career. So I, I still have my doubts about Baltimore, even though they are in the sixth playoffs position. What do you expect to see? You're calling the Carolina Panthers at the Cleveland Browns. The Panthers were just rolling. Sitting at 6-2, and two, you anticipated that they were going to be in the playoffs and making a run. Cam looked like his old MVP self. Now they've lost four games in a row. This is a toss-up game on the road for them against the Browns. And Ron Rivera has to be feeling pressure on himself. What is going to happen with the Carolina Panthers? 
Yeah, you know, it's really interesting because I think you look at them offensively and, you know, Cam Newton is nursing a, a shoulder sur- a shoulder issue that uh, from a surgery in 2016 that's really bothering him. But in these four losses, um, they're fourth in total yards. They're third in yards per play. Um, they've put up points. They've moved the ball. Now, last week notwithstanding, Cam threw four interceptions and, and you know, he um, just didn't look like himself. There was some pressures given up. He got hit on a couple of those interceptions, you know. So, um, didn't look like himself. But it really, to me, it, it's two things. You look at the linebacking core, Carolina, they're great. You look at the defensive front four, um, two inside guys, really good inside guys, but they don't really consistently get pass rush pressure unless they blitz. And people have just been attacking their secondary. Their secondary has given up more big plays in the last four or five weeks. They have, um, they just have not been able to hold up and they've attacked the corners. And the corners have been on double moves. The corners have missed tackles. The corners have not played very well for the Carolina Panthers. So offensively, I think they're, I think they're still a team that I know talking to Christian McCaffrey yesterday that they feel like they can go on a run, win four straight, and get themselves in this playoff. But, uh, of course, everybody feels that way. You know, it's one thing to feel that way. It's another thing to do it. And Ron Rivera obviously taking over the defensive play calling. He's taking over the secondary because they've played so poorly here the last four weeks. What do you think is going to happen in the NFC East? The uh, Philadelphia Eagles have won a couple of games in a row. Obviously, the Dallas Cowboys 4-1 and one since they've traded for Amari Cooper. Is this the Cowboys' division uh, effectively? Do you expect them to take control completely uh, this weekend? Or do you think the, uh, the the Eagles come on the road and really kind of upset the apple cart and it's a mess going down the final three weeks? Uh, I, I think I, I really think Dallas has kind of figured out who they are formulaic-wise. You know, they're, they're going to run the ball. They're going to control line of scrimmage. And, and you know, going to play great defense, obviously. They're going to run around, and their linebacking core has been absolutely unbelievable. But all three levels of their defense has been really good. You know, I think the interesting thing here for me, Clay, is in the last four weeks in a four-game win streak, uh, they've given up 17 sacks on Dak Prescott. Some on the offensive line, some on the you know tight ends and running backs. A lot of them on Dak because he holds the ball. But in those 17 sacks, he hasn't he hasn't thrown one pick, which is you know it's counterintuitive. I mean, you get hit that many times, you're going to flip one up there. And he hasn't. He has maintained the ball. You know, they won a game against New Orleans that was this 13-10 ball game. Um, they understand kind of who they are. Amari Cooper's done a phenomenal job not only catching the ball on the outside, but really opening up that edge to the running game. So it's the complementary nature of football. You have a guy who's a threat out there, and all of a sudden, you know, the safeties aren't nosing around down my line of scrimmage as quickly as they normally are trying to stop, uh, you know, trying to stop Zeke Elliott. So, uh, you know, they, they, to me, have kind of established and figured out what their identity is, and they're playing that way. I, I want to see if they can match the intensity level that they had against the New Orleans Saints, um, against this Philadelphia team. Can you match that intensity level? Because if you can, uh, I think you win this division. Mark Schlereth, outstanding as always. We'll be watching Carolina at the Browns. Go follow him on Twitter at Mark Schlereth. Have a good weekend, my man. You too, brother. Later. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick the Coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific. Bonnie Bernstein joins us now. Bonnie, if you were, you may have a Heisman vote. There are a lot of people who do have Heisman votes. I can't keep track of all of them. Who would you vote for uh, if you had to choose between Alabama quarterback Tua Tagovailoa, Oklahoma's Kyler Murray, or Ohio State's Dwayne Haskins? 
Uh, well, I am a voter, so I'm oh, not allowed to say who. <laughs> so you're not allowed to say, right? They changed the rules? No, no. Well, I, I've never been under the impression that we're allowed to talk about our votes until the final tally is done. Uh, I've certainly never talked about it, but it's, you know, it, watching the SEC championship last week was so fascinating because where I really struggled, not just with the Heisman, but in determining who should be the fourth team in, and it was Georgia or Ohio State or Oklahoma, and, and all of that w- really depended on, you know, how their championship games went. I thought one of the most interesting dynamics was the fact that Tua was clearly hurt, um, and so I know I'm sort of circumventing your question, but it, it sort of will help lead to my thinking. So here you're watching Tua Tungabailoa, who was the Heisman frontrunner the entire time, but he's, he's hobbled. You could tell something was wrong. He's had knee issues throughout the season, and George's defense was having his way with him. Um, so do you take that into consideration when you're looking at the fact that Georgia lost the SEC championship game in a close game, and they would be the only – that well, the first two lost team to be in the playoff. So you look at Georgia, and it was a you know a relatively good loss if you believe in such things to LSU. Then you have Oklahoma, which has been lopsided all season, and yet their defense plays really well in avenging their loss to Texas. And then you see Ohio State, which upends you know the best defense in the country, and Michigan when they played them last week of the season. So you know when people talk about. Tua and did he play the entire game in the SEC championship? No. Should that be a factor in the Heisman voting? It's not for me to say. But ultimately, what I will say is that everybody has, um, everybody defines the way they vote for the Heisman differently. Some people look purely at stats, some people take the schedule and the quality of conference play into consideration. Some people look at how meaningful the player is to his team. And for me, I think that's really important. How critical is your performance in your team's wins week in and week out? There's a lot of debate over whether that should be a factor or not. I think it is, and it did play into my thinking. Did you vote last night? Derrick Henry was unstoppable for the Titans against the Jags, and obviously we've been talking a lot about that game because it's the first one uh, of the weekend for the NFL. Do you remember? Yeah. Did you vote for Derrick Henry or did you vote for Christian McCaffrey? Because they had a really tight race down the stretch too. Do you remember which way you voted there? I actually voted for Christian McCaffrey. Yeah, I just he he was such a well-rounded player, and again. For me, it's the impact for the team. And when you look at the fact that, you know, he was an incredible running back, a good receiver out of the backfield, and hit the impact as a returner. I just – and and – and I sort of struggle, and, you know, I living on the East Coast, I hear East Coast bias all the time. But I was one of those people, because I do take the Heisman vote pretty seriously, um, you know, Pac-12 after dark. Yes. <laughs> it's hard to stay up for those games. But I would, and I watched, and I was like, this guy's incredible. And, you know, how many times did we see Heisman winners who, who don't – go on to do much in the NFL but I, I do think Christian McCaffrey is one of those guys because he's a multifaceted player that you know when we look at his career at the end of the day whether he spends the entire time with Carolina or not um, he'll be a pretty decent he'll be a pretty decent player 
Yeah, there's no doubt at all. We're talking to uh, to Bonnie Bernstein, and um, and I appreciate you joining us here, uh, waking up early with us. Uh, although you're on the East Coast, like you said, so it's not as early uh, on a Friday. You yeah. are fascinating because you got into sideline reporting at a young age, as many people do. But you've also got involved in producing your own unique content out of that. Um, and you're doing a show, which is pretty cool, called uh, Country on Campus on CMT, where you get a bunch of people who are diehard college football fans. And what I have found, before I started doing this national show, I used to do a local Nashville show every afternoon, every midday. We did that for years and years. And the number of country music stars who would listen to that sports talk show in the market in Nashville was massive because what I found was almost every country music singer is a huge college football fan. Have you found that to be true on your show as well? Yes, and that was actually the inspiration behind it. So it's called Country on Campus, and you know, it, it for all of your country fans who were listening, and I know a lot of your Nashville base has probably gravitated over to your national show, um, there's a huge crossover in audience between country music and college football. And I know we'll assume that it's because, you know, the SEC has been such a dominant conference and, and country music was, was born in the South, but it's really become a national multicultural audience. Um, I, I know that you've done interviews with country stars over the years and who've talked about it, and, and those of us who sort of live in the college football space we know this. And when I started my production company, you know, the genesis behind doing that sort of thing and, and leaving the security of a network is the opportunity to create and be creative and do things that you're really passionate about, but, you know, for whatever reason, you haven't had the chance to do. I have a background in music. I played three instruments growing up. I was in four bands in high school, and I've always wanted to do something with music, but I also don't want to get away from my bread and butter because. I've made my living in sports, and I thought creating and showcasing that cross-section between country music and college football would be the right play. CMT loved the idea. We piloted it last year with Toby Keith and Darius Rucker. It did very well, and so now Country on Campus, it debuts in Hot 20 Countdown on CMT, which runs 9 a.m., 8 central, uh, on Saturdays and Sundays, and we profiled Dustin Lynch, who, interestingly enough, his dad played at Florida during the Chris Collinsworth years. He'd never been to the swamp before, so we sort of organized his first trip to the swamp, and his parents were there, and his grandparents were there, and I got Timmy Tebow to do a welcome video, and I got Steve Spurrier to come up and introduce himself. Um, we had Lady A and Darius Rucker together, Lady Annabellum, uh, Charles Kelly and Dave Haywood, the two guys in the band, are Georgia alum. They were touring with Darius in the fall on the weekend when Georgia and South Carolina were playing each other, and we were allowed to come in and be a fly on the wall. Their crews put together like this whole tailgating, decorated, and, and they all tailgated and watched the game before the show. Uh, last week we had Justin Moore, who's a native Arkansan, and I know Arkansas didn't even win an SEC game this year. But what was great, Clay, is that, you know, we talk about fans are there through thick and thin. And, and uh, that stadium was full in Fayetteville, and Justin and his wife went, and it was incredible. But he's, he's crazy. Like, yes. we, we actually had a conversation that wound up in the piece. He's got three little girls, and one of them's a pretty good basketball player. And we talked about the old Southwest Conference and how much he hated Texas, and now it's LSU. 
you know, for, you know, when they compete for the boot, uh, when LSU and Arkansas play each other. And I said, you know, what happens if your daughter gets a scholarship to LSU to play basketball? And he's like, absolutely not. Not even an option. Yeah. <laughs> it's great. So, you know, just being able to see a different side of these artists um, that fans don't usually get to see, but it, it really is that common thread. They love college football as much as we do, and it's just you know exciting for me to be able to sort of bring it to life through my little production company. Yeah, well, first of all, it's awesome that you're doing this. Uh, we have actually played around with this some. Um, uh, I did the red carpet a couple of different years for the CMAs, and oh, nice. all we did was question artists about how much they liked uh, college football. And they all light up because (laughs) yeah, they would all light up because everybody else would be asking them about the inspiration for a song or something Mm -hmm. like that, and we got an opportunity. That's kind of their passion in some way that they're not expecting to get asked about. And several of those guys and girls you mentioned are just massive fans. I want to ask you this uh, on the way out, and I'd encourage you guys to check out uh, Bonnie's show as well. And congratulations to you putting together your own uh, production company and making this happen. I know how much of uh, of a work that is, and also how impressive it is from a business perspective perspective um you you. went to maryland you you were a gymnast at maryland for four years academic all-american you've obviously been very successful in the world of sports how tough was it for you as a terp alum to watch the difficulty of maryland this year with the football program it was it was so heartbreaking and i was actually on the commission exploring the toxicity of the program and um clay it's one of the most difficult things i've ever had to do Um, In in agreeing to be a part of the commission, what I said was, first and foremost, the approach I'm going to take is is that of a journalist. And I really put my investigative hat on because I wanted to understand what was going on. When D.J. Durkin came in and this heralded D coordinator out of Michigan with the lineage of having worked with, you know, Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh and, and we as the new kids on the block in the Big Ten, you know, it's, it's, it's a struggle to break through the static in a really competitive college football conference year in and year out. And so, you know, we were tasked with interviewing, you know, nearly 200 people from current coaches to former coaches to current players to former players to people who were in and around the administration and, and around the football team. And what was heartbreaking, first and foremost, is that we lost a player. But the reality is, Clay, and, and I know when, when a player dies and, and we lost Jordan McNair to heat stroke, which was misdiagnosed, emotion takes over. I had to take the emotion out of it and understand what the facts were. The facts were, whether people want to accept it or not, DJ Durkin did not kill Jordan McNair. He didn't. It was a misdiagnosis. It was a mistake. It was tragic and it was heartbreaking. However, what DJ Durkin was guilty of was lack of oversight because strength coaches, and you've been around them, our strength coach, there's a difference between using profanity to motivate and profanity to dehumanize. And our strength coach used profanity to dehumanize. And even though football really is a gladiator sport and the culture around football is different than any place else other than the military, you know, you're not going to be training to work at a grocery store at a bank or on Wall Street or as a doctor and, and need to deal with what's required from a physical and mental standpoint to withstand the rigors of a season. You're not going to get that 
anywhere else other than the military. And so it's a different dynamic that if you've never been around it, if you're an outsider looking in, you're like, wow, that's whack. Like, you can't do that. Football's a little different, but still, there's a line you cannot cross, and our strength coach clearly crossed that line. And regardless of what your head coaching tree was, whether it's the nicest coach in the world, whether it's Mike Riley, or whether it's Urban Meyer and Jim Harbaugh, you have to be able to make that delineation. And that's where DJ Durkin failed. And in my mind, that's why he's no longer a coach. Um, so you can tell when I talk about it, I'm still really emotional. And, and I cried going through the report and editing the report and, and seeing what was going to be put out there publicly because this is my school. But my hope is that the recommendations we made to ensure that our student-athletes who are playing football at the University of Maryland are having a healthy, safe, productive experience, what we really hope is that our recommendations change the national conversation about what college football should be in 2018, because this ain't your grandfather's college football program. It's just a different world. And we have to be mindful of how we are treating our student-athletes, not just in football, but in all sports. Bonnie, outstanding hit with us. I want to tell people again, country on campus on CMT, country uh, artists who are diehard college football fans. you got Sarah Evans married to Jay Barker who won a national championship at Alabama. She's on this week, and it's your own production company, which I can't say enough how impressive it is, Walk Swiftly Productions. Uh, and you can follow Bonnie uh, on Twitter at Bonnie Bernstein and uh, Bonnie L. Bernstein uh, on uh, Facebook. Good stuff as always. Appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Clay. Have a great weekend. That is, will do. That is Bonnie Bernstein. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Excuse the music, boys. Ladies and gentlemen. I'm just glad I was there. Boys and girls. I thought he thought I was like this ginormous piece of chicken. Dying times here. I have a bullet constrictor stuck to my face. And you have a what? This is Animal Thunderdome. Uh, I am going to start with this one. Officials in the western state of Gujarat in India have decided to try to catch a killer leopard which has killed three people, including two children, in the space of a week. The animal is also believed to have injured five other people since mid-November. What is their plan? Well, rangers place nine cages containing animals, including goats, around the jungle in a bid to lure the deadly cat out of hiding so officials could take it down. The promise of the caged animals was apparently not enticing enough. It wasn't good enough bait. So, recently... In the last few days, they went one step further and they put three men in one of the nine cages and left them there overnight as bait. The regional conservator of forest admitted the measure was unusual but suggested once in a while such experimentation is needed. The three-man stakeout team was made up of forest guard VJ Bamania, an official trained to shoot tranquilizer darts, and a veterinary doctor to attend to the animal once it was sedated. The cage is normally used to trap monkeys. He said the structure was well locked, uh, well locked and that the men were in minimal danger. Initially, we placed goats inside as bait, but it didn't work. 
Now the men sit inside the cage. Uh, they are supposed to alert others if they see the le- uh, the leopard. He said he considered the cage assignment part of my duty to protect human lives. This is crazy. Uh, we spent four hours in the cage on Friday from 6 to 10. We had a torch while a goat was tied in the open nearby. We also had a machine to make goat sounds to attract the leopard. Around our position, we scattered dried leaves so we could hear the leopard coming. Officials said they still hope to trap and tranquilize the leopard, but noted the backup plan would be to kill the leopard. Uh, you, uh, you, thinking, so you thinking what we're all thinking? We need to call in. <laughs> Nawab. Yeah, Nawab Shafali Khan. Now, here's the other thing. The animal's latest victim uh, was uh, dragged while attacking firewood with three other women. The leopard pounced on her, dragged her into the bushes as the other women escaped. Her decapitated body was later found nearby. Uh, this is uh, uh, this is pretty unbelievable. So, in the cage, that is a that's a crazy way to be getting pay, a paycheck. You're in the cage trying to attract leopards. Uh, what you got for me, Danny G? All right, Clay. Here's one where we can actually root for the animal. A horse was on its way to being euthanized and escaped onto a Florida highway. Now has a new chance at life. Police are saying. The Alachua County Sheriff's Office said that it solved the mystery of the horse, which was found running loose on Interstate 75 last Friday after a series of social media tips. Witnesses said that the horse escaped from its trailer on the highway after, and the driver took off after finding out about the horse escaping from the trailer. Investigators say that they determined the 12-year-old horse was being taken to be euthanized because its owner no longer wanted it. Sheriff's Office spokesman said authorities are looking for that owner for abandonment charges against the driver. Horse is now, they named him Highway, by the way. He's being treated at the Spring Hill Equine Clinic in Ocala for injuries during the uh, escape. The clinic said a crowdfunding goal for the horse's car quickly exceeded its goal. I'm assuming it's the horse's care and not the horse's car because if they bought the horse a car as well, I mean, that's oh, quite the comeback. Yeah, you're, you're right. They left the E off there. I thought uh, maybe they needed to transport it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so uh, here's another story I meant to tell you too. I, when I was driving back from Florida about 10 days ago, I came around the corner and there were cars coming the opposite direction, two-lane highway, and they were flashing their lights at me, a bunch of them. And I thought, oh, it must be a cop that's on the side of the road. You know, sometimes you'll give a warning to somebody else if you see a cop, like, trying to catch people for speeding. So I slowed down as I came around the corner. Massive cow, loose with nobody to take care of it, standing right there on the road. Never Dang. seen it before. You ever seen a, uh, a rogue cow, a cow just out by itself? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, it pretty, can be pretty overwhelming. So I was, uh, I was narrowly escaped just plowing into a cow. Uh, all right, what else we got? All right, uh, police in New Jersey said officers responding to a report of an alligator-like creature on the loose. They show up. This sounds like something you would do if you saw this, Clay. It was actually an escaped iguana. (laughs) There's a big difference between an alligator and an iguana. The Neptune Township Police Department said officers arrived in this residential neighborhood this past Tuesday after receiving a call about an alligator wandering the area. Upon arrival, they discovered the iguana had escaped from its home and scaled a nearby porch to catch some rays police said in a facebook post so um obviously it's not an alligator folks pretty big iguana but uh i'm wondering if you saw something like that if you would also 
mistake no, it for a small iguanas, gator. I lived in the Caribbean for a few years, and there were iguanas everywhere, and they never actually bothered us. Sometimes they'd come swim in the swimming pool. Uh, and this is one of the crazy iguana things is that they freeze like popsicles. We've had this in the Animal Thunderdome before. When it gets really cold in Florida, they just fall out of the trees. you got to watch it. You might get killed. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying. Flag on the play. You already talked about that. But there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini-games like Digging for Treasure or a Robot Pachinko Machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on! I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow the global story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts.